episode eight of the Press Pass podcast presented by the Press Republican. Hard to believe we've been at it for already two months, but we're having a lot of fun with it. Today, we are here with Editor-in-Chief Joe LaTemplio, Knight Editor Ben Rowe, Staff Writer Robin Cadell, and here I am truly, Sports Editor Joey LaFranca, and we're excited to do another episode. But Joe, how are you doing? Good, Joey Bats. Thanks for hosting again. Yes, I'm getting very good at the intros now. A little shaky at first, but I've gotten a little bit better. But Ben, how are you? I'm doing well. You know what I was thinking? Two months. There's been a lot of news. There has been a lot of news. And we've, <laughs> it doesn't we, feel like. We've been chatting about a lot of it. And Rob, yeah. your first time on the pod. How are you doing? I've been kidnapped! <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe right. her, folks. So right, so, right, so right off the bat, we've already gone over, let's not try and yell. Robin's yells right off the bat. Really, really, made a, really made a great entrance onto the show. So there we go. Robin has not been kidnapped. She probably is here against her will a little bit. But we're, we've figured we'd have her come on today. But Joe, I'll kick it right to you like we're kind of doing now. You know, what's going on this week? Yeah, well, the big news this week, um, well, there's a lot of big news, actually, but one of the big things that we're doing around here, as we've done for many, many years in the North Country in early September, is celebrate the Battle of Plattsburgh. The Battle of Plattsburgh, of course, happened uh, September 11th, 1814, a pivotal battle in the War of 1812, where the Americans, uh, led by Commodore McDonough defeated the British, and ultimately we won the war and secured our American uh, country. You're welcome, America. Yeah, <laughs> right. happened right here in Plattsburgh. Right the here. Battle of Plattsburgh, it, it, I'm sure it was celebrated for 200 years around here in some form or another, but it really picked up towards the end of the 20th century when uh, organizers saw the bicentennial of the battle in 2014 on the horizon. So for about 14, 15 years, probably in the late 90s, they really picked up steam to make it a, uh, a big celebration, a week long or even longer, and leading up to the Bicentennial, which was the flagship celebration of the battle. It had week-long events, parades, music, arts, culture, history, of course. Um, it was quite a spectacle, and it was quite an educational uh, journey, so to speak, all those years leading up to the bicentennial, and we covered uh, covered it like crazy um, over the years. And Robin has been around almost as long as I have here at the Press Republican, more than thirty years. And uh, I'm sure you remember a lot about the Battle of Plattsburgh, don't you? A little here and there. Usually, I scheduled my vacation around the battle, <laughs> but I did do preview come-ups to the battle. And so this year, if you weren't here for 2014, the 1814 Commemoration Inc., who are the new group who are handling the Battle of Plattsburgh, you can see a lot of the 18, well, the 2014 bicentennial. Um, videos and things online at their website if you want around if you want to check it out because they're having a virtual commemoration this year so there are some live events coming up the next through the few, few days throughout the weekend but there are also things online that you can look at you can reflect back on and if i remember correctly robin this new group after the big 2014 celebration the Organizers wanted to kind of pass the baton to a new generation of like organizers. Is that right, or? Um, 
Well, I don't remember that, but what happened more recently, because with the outbreak of COVID, because mm. basically when that happened in December, the people who were volunteers for the Battle of Plattsburgh were told that the city would no longer support it. Well, the city first was going to support it for another year. Then COVID happened, and then they couldn't support it at all. So uh-huh. these volunteers stepped up into the void, cre- created a non-for-profit to get what we have today. So they did this by the seat of their pants. Their president is Tom Donahue, and he's the one who's leading this with a bunch of other volunteers. Some are Battle of Plattsburgh regulars and others are new people, new blood who have come in because some of the names, I don't know who these people are, but they have worked on, you know, what we have now. And, you know, over the years, uh, Kit Booth, Gary Vancor, Keith Herkel, a lot of those guys um, did a lot to keep the history alive right. of the battle. Um, what, what did that battle mean for the region? For battle, I mean, we would be speaking the king's English if that battle didn't happen. Hmm. And also, um, we would not be in Clinton County. We would be in a province called Columbia. I think that's what they wanted to call this region of it. But also, what it gets lost is, I'm originally from Maryland. So at the same time, well, lit after the Battle of Plattsburgh was the Battle of Baltimore. Bladensburg, yeah. Everybody knows the Battle of Baltimore like Fort McHenry, so that gets big play, where even though they had less casualties than what we had here at the Battle of Plattsburgh. Yeah, and so you mentioned you're from Baltimore, too. We didn't, we I'm didn't not give, from Baltimore. No, I mean, you're from Maryland. You're from but, Maryland. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Be correct. But you, <laughs> meant, you mentioned Baltimore, and yeah. we forgot to do our little intro that we do at the beginning, but... What? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself for all of the listeners so everybody <laughs> kind of knows who, who you are a little bit more? And we know now, know for sure, you're not from Baltimore. <laughs> no. Okay, a quick history geography lesson. Okay, Maryland is a mid-Atlantic state. <laughs> okay. I love, this. I love this. And I'm from the eastern shore of Maryland, which is... A peninsula with, we share with Delaware and Virginia. So on the Atlantic seaboard side, it's, you know, Delaware and Virginia. Then you have the Chesapeake Bay, which divides Maryland from the western shore and the eastern shore. I'm from the eastern shore. Okay. All the madness, Baltimore, Washington, <laughs> D.C., all of that is on the western shore. Yeah. So people try to escape that to come <laughs> where we're at to go to the beaches. Okay. So that's it. So I grew up there. I started journalism at my high school newspaper yearbook. I was a photographer. I wrote articles. Yeah. I majored in journalism at the University of Maryland College Park. Terrapins. Yeah. Go Terps. <laughs> I landed here in 1987, January 9th, 1987, at the old Clinton County Airport. This is what Uncle Sam brought me here at Plattsburgh Air Force Base. So when they were reducing their forces, I dusted off my journalism degree and landed here. Jim Dinko, thank you, Jim, <laughs> hired me, and I'm here. So that's my story. Well, first of all, thank you for your service to our country and to the Press Republican in our community. Yes, of um, course. We have certainly seen a lot uh, in our careers together. I sat next yeah. to Robin for 30 years. Yes. And tell everybody what you say. About, what? about me. What do I and say about you? And the longest relationship 
Yes, that I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have to commit. <laughs> exactly. There you go. There it's you been go. it's been it's been quite a ride. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, and I, quickly, I know Robin, you're busy. You got to go. But another historical thing we're commemorating this weekend on Friday is the 19th anniversary of September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were both here that day. Um, certainly a solemn day, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Um, I remember I was living on um, Stetson Avenue in the city then, and I saw the first plane go into the tower, you know, when they were showing their loops on TV. And I knew from my military service, I knew it was an attack. I knew this wasn't a random thing when the second, you know, it was such. So I knew that we were going to be... uh, figuring out how we're going to localize in this. But what I remember is um, Julius Cook, who is, at, he was Agosasi Mohawk. He was the superintendent welder for the World Trade Center. So I, he was deceased. But one of the things that I did is I went up to Agosasi and I talked to his widow mm-hmm. about what his thoughts would have been if he was alive. And she talked about well, there was also another incident when they tried to bomb the World Trade Center. Yeah. He had been around in for 90, that. Ninety-three. Yeah. yeah, so she recalled that I talked to her, and I also talked to the Iron Workers Union up there at Agusasni, because when the planes were going over, they had guys up on the buildings who watched everything. And so that's how I localized it, by you know, going to the Iron Workers at Agusasni. That's always something that's that's always something that's interesting that we try and do is we we'll always try and find that local angle to things and mm-hmm. that's a very that's a very interesting angle. Didn't even, I had no idea about that. What do you remember about that day, Joe? From from when you, I were you, I'm sure you were working that. Yeah, day. Um, I remember it was a it was a Tuesday. It was primary day. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Okay, and we had a big primary in the city of Plattsburgh in Ward One where uh, Harold Rebel Hicks, the incumbent. <laughs> counselor uh, was being challenged by Mike Drew and it was a big race and so primary the polls didn't close till nine so I had planned to come in to work at like four or five uh, that day so I was home oh wow all morning long out in the back it was a beautiful day it was like 80 Uh degrees and sunny I was in the backyard doing work mowing the lawn working on the pool whatever Mm -hmm. I didn't get in the house until like afternoon 12 30 and I got a phone message back then. We had answering machines. <laughs> and it said, um, primary day's been canceled because of the tragedy. Uh, come in the office now. It was Jack Downs. Yep. I'm like, tragedy? So I turned the TV on, and I saw Tom Brokaw explaining how the Twin Towers had just collapsed. And I saw footage, and I could not believe it. Wow. So needless to say, I came right in, and we started working on, on stories I remember. Plattsburgh State, uh, Dr. Judson was the president at the mm-hmm. time. They had a candlelight vigil mm-hmm. and, uh, at the college center in the evening because a lot of the students were from the city and mm-hmm. had family affected. Sure. Um, it was quite a somber scene. Kids were upset and crying um, at the college, and it, 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 was, it was certainly shocking. I know I know. From, from my standpoint, I was so young. I don't even, I mean, I... I have memories of 2001, but in terms of the actual twin, the twin tower, I, I don't don't have any type of memory of it. Um, but the one thing that I will say is, obviously, over time, it's 
it's one of those things where you don't have to necessarily be in there in the moment to realize the impact of it. And it's just it, every single time September 11th comes around for me, I've been I've been back down to the city. I've seen the, the memorial and things of that nature. And it's just I remember when I was there, this was probably in 2014. And I think it was a 2004. Yeah, it was it was some sometime around then. And going back down to, to that area and seeing the beautiful water fountain that mm-hmm. they have now and looking at different things of that nature, it's so impactful. And I remember I was there with my, my mom and my dad, and um, we, we were going down. My, my dad's originally from the city, but we were down in that area. We had made a trip down there to watch a Yankee game and things of that nature, and we went to see that site. And when I was there, it was eerie. It was very quiet. And it was just almost like nobody nobody spoke. Everybody was just there observing. And I feel like the silence speaks volumes to obviously the magnitude of that tragedy. And it's just something that, like I said, I don't remember that my I don't ha- I don't have a memory of a reaction to the day of 9/11. But my memory and my reaction to when I was down there at the memorial site was it was very impactful. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it's similar. I, I, I've never been to the New York City Memorial, but I, I have been to the Pearl Harbor Memorial in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. It's very the same thing. You're there, nobody talks. No. Um, it's it's solemn. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, quite a day. And to think it's almost 20 years past, so that also speaks to something. <laughs> yeah, hard to believe. Yeah, very, very hard to believe. But Robin, I know you have a little bit of stuff that you got to get going today, so yes. we are going to let you go, just so we everybody knows you were not kidnapped. Okay. And it's just going to be the three amigos taking over this from is, here. This but is audio proof that we are releasing Robin. But we were glad to have you come on, and I'm sure yes. you'll be coming on again, right? Right? Commitment. You're going to be coming on again? No comment. No comment. Okay. All right. So we'll be back. And we are back, Joe, Ben, and Joey, back with you. The three amigos, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> beastie boys. The, be- the beastie boys, yeah. Um, so we have a couple other things that we wanted to talk about. Basically, you know, the two bullet points that I think we really wanted to touch upon are school and sports. And we'll first start with school. But, you know, school uh, is back in session in <laughs> various capacities. But um, initial impressions, what do you think, Joe? Well, this week kicks everything off for the local public schools. Yeah. Um, like you said, we have a variety of different looks at each district um, in well, pretty much Clinton, Essex, and Franklin County. Um, we're going to try it and see what happens. I mean, these districts, this is brand new territory. Nobody's done this before. They put together the best plans they think possible um, that will give kids a chance to have a decent education. Um, for the time being, um, and hopefully it works. I mean, we've seen um, at the higher levels um, with colleges, um, they've had a little trouble. Yeah. Uh, it's a little different situation. Obviously, uh, kids in college are on their own. They don't have the structure and supervision as you do in uh, K-12. through um, but the alarming thing that we've seen is what happened at uh, SUNY Oneonta, yeah, Plattsburgh State Sister School, where they have had close to 700 uh, positive cases in a very quick time. And we were grateful um, that Ben Rowe here had a chance to speak to a local student 
um, that attends Oneonta about what that was like. Uh, that was quite interesting, wasn't it, Ben? Absolutely, yes. Uh, again, with some of our um, local connections here, we had, I believe it was Dylan Trombley last week and then Aiden Recor this week. Um, names that are probably familiar to sports fans around here. And just the fact that, yeah, kind of you can read about it in headlines as far as the statistics, but then to think that those kids were in the hot zone, as Aiden said, you know, seeing the daily numbers just tick up, as, as I said before, part of this whole experience for me has been to the credit of the health departments, you know, all around the state is the daily reports. And I'll always remember, you know, looking back at this moment 50 years from now, I'll always remember seeing the daily reports that come in and, and you know, Joey and I have talked about this before, just pouring over them and being like, all right, what's the number of the day? Oh, that's not good. What's the number of the day? Oh, okay, that's okay. Yeah. And just to, <laughs> and again, as I said, I think I said like a podcast two ago, is that for around here, and around, well, I'll preface the story. Around here, for a while, the numbers floated from like two, four, six, down to two, two. Mm-hmm. And then we had the Essex Center, where suddenly it spiked. And that spike, just seeing the numbers, like, it makes your heart jump. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? How did we get here? <laughs> we were doing fine. <laughs> yeah. And then to hear Aiden, um, the SUNY and the student, talking about how one day, you know, this, the college sent out a survey every day saying, okay, here's the number of cases on campus. You have two. And then the next day, you have 10. And then a day from there, it goes up and up. And before too long, literally in the course of not even a week, they were at 100 cases. And it just kept climbing from there. And it was very alarming. And as he said, you know, um, once, it, once it breached 100, the sense on campus was, okay, when they got, when are they going to send us home, you know? It's, it's the, the cow is out of the barn, you know, it's the, and so, and, you know, in talking to him and his parents, um, you know, is that they felt it was the right move to, um, to say, yeah, you know, is to, for the safety, got to go to virtual. So, um, but hearing him say, you know, it started out with two cases. I mean, you can't help but think of Fred right up at Sydney Plattsburgh, where right now, as far as I know, Joe, the count still stands at two. As far as we know, uh-huh. it's two right out of the gate, and it stopped there. And it's zero. It's zero right. active, though, right? It was like two overall, but it's zero active right now. Um, it, if not, it's close. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I can't imagine being a freshman going off to college. Normal circumstances, I not stuff enough. I was actually going to pose the question to you. I was going to say. Go back in time and pretend you're going to college now, Joe. What are you thinking? I'm not going. <laughs> okay. Just, fl- mean, just flat out. I think a gap year would be, you know, a wise choice for a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe good or bad. Um, it's, it might be the most practical thing for a lot of kids right now. What do you think? Uh, I know era-wise it's a little difficult. And just in general, this is kind of hard to try and compare this but what do you think your parents would have said to you back then would they would they have even just made the decision for you like take a gap year or do you do you think you know put put your put, uh, let's go into the Latempio household here like what would what would the situation have been from a parental standpoint do you think your parents would have said if you wanted to okay go to college or would they have told you yeah maybe you want to stay home now my old man would have said get a job <laughs> uh, but uh, they would have they would have had strong influence for sure, yeah. one way or another. Um, my, my mother, being the worrying Italian mother she is, probably yeah. would have said stay home. My father probably would have left it up to me, mm-hmm. more or less. Uh, 
But it's one of those things. I mean, I understand the question. Yeah. But when you think back and think about it, I don't know if I can even come up with a scenario in my head that would uh-huh. even make any sense. Uh, it's just so bizarre. That's that's the thing to it. We can't... What if? I mean, if you want to compare it to anything, people are going to say compare it to the, the flu pandemic like 100 years ago. But, I mean... It's a hundred years ago. That's the whole aspect to it. That's a little. That's a little interesting. So yeah, it, it's it's bizarre. I think, um, from my standpoint, if I were um, a, fr- a freshman going into college, I, I would have taken a gap year. It just doesn't, to a certain extent, it just doesn't make sense. And and a lot of people are probably going to say, and Ben, if you want to like play devil's advocate and just say the other side of things, that's fine. But I mean, I was just, I mean, the the, the feasibility of it. Is so difficult to begin with, and are you truly getting the the quote college experience? I mean, these kids couldn't even have a high school graduation ceremony. I know. I mean, look, we we went to. I, I remember uh, back in June, I went to the Seton Catholic graduation ceremony, and they were having it in their in their student parking lot, and all these kids were sitting uh, in lawn chairs in front of their families' cars, and they would walk up one by one. I, I mean. That experience alone, I'm never going to forget that. And there were a lot of other experiences kind of similar to that. But uh, weird, bizarre, frustrating even as a word to describe it. I mean, these kids had different things taken away from them. And, and, and kind of scary. Yeah. And, yeah, and scary. And eerie. I think eerie was a yeah. good word to it. I mean, it's just it's just so, it's so weird on so many levels. Well, I guess that was probably one of the most surprising things from talking to the recourse last night was to talk to Aiden's parents. I asked them, you know... Um, you know, every parent is scared to send their kid off to school and kick about the nest and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I asked them, you know, did COVID add to that? And they said, you know, um, not as much as you think. And so I'm like, oh, really? And um, and they said, you know, yeah, it's, they mentioned that, you know, they are more concerned about some of his allergies on campus. <laughs> it was a classic, you know, yeah. parent worry. But they said they, from what they saw dropping him off in the ante and what they read about the plan, they said they were comfortable with it. They thought that it was a solid plan to keep kids safe. And, you know, obviously there's variables in that, the parties and whatnot, that any plan can go awry when you throw those in. But I thought it was interesting that they wanted him to get as much of the college experience as he could, even with COVID. And so they, you know, I think part of this is that, yeah, the schools, you know, um, they put together plans, they put them out there, and they hope that the parents are comfortable with them. So I thought, and as I also said to um, uh, Aiden's parents, is the fact that there's going to be, um, and of course on the podcast we pass no judgment for that, but there's got to be a lot of finger pointing in all directions when things go wrong. Oh, there's sure. got to be some people who point the fingers at the party kids, but there's also got to be plenty of people who point the fingers back at the school and say, hey, you didn't prevent this. But it's just the fact. So to hear, you know, some parents say, you know, the college with this crazy situation, they did the best they could. You know, I thought that was that was interesting. And in, in, in your story, I don't know if I saw it in your story. I know I saw it somewhere. Didn't Aiden say something to the effect of having a plan is one thing, enforcing it is another? Uh-huh. And yeah. he, he said that, yes. right? Uh-huh. And I think that speaks volumes. Uh-huh. It's if you don't enforce the plan... It's just eyewash. It's window dressing. There's there's nothing. It has no. It holds no value if you just have a plan. Be like, all right. Well, we had a plan. Well, if they didn't follow it, that's that's their thing. But to a certain extent, 
the colleges need to enforce it. And there needs to be self-enforcing, too, from each student. And that's the only way this is going to work, because if you have one odd duck, it's going to ruin everything. Mm. Yeah, and, and there's some of that same talk is surrounding the the situation regarding high school sports. Yes. Um, one of the arguments for having sports is that it is structured. It mm-hmm. is supervised. And kids p- might have a less chance of getting COVID in that environment than they would unsupervised, unstructured, running around campus or off campus. Right. So uh, there is something to be said for that. Having a plan and, and supervising it and enforcing it for sure. And speaking to that plan, <laughs> segway. yeah, perfect, <laughs> perfect segue. We're getting really good at those. Um, but so where the sports scene is at now, I would still say it's in a state of flux because my observation has been this: you have in late August, I think it was late August, yeah, it was before September first. So late August, you have Cuomo comes out and says certain sports can be allowed. That would be Governor Andrew Cuomo yeah. from New York State. That that would be correct. Um, <laughs> Not so, his father, Governor Mario Cuomo, <laughs> who I also covered. <laughs> Joe is old. <laughs> um, so Cuomo comes out and says certain sports can be allowed. Okay, that's step one. Step two was the New York State Public High School Athletic Association um, establishing guidelines. Their guidelines come out on Friday at 7.58 p.m. I know both you and Ben know how I felt about that. (laughs) A little frustrating to say the least, but I will preface it by saying there's a lot on their plate. Yes, I was frustrated that it came out late, but I do understand there was a lot for them to to handle. Nobody cares what you think. Okay, well, (laughs) regardless. On the podcast. I would like to think that people do. Um, (laughs) But So they come out with their guidance last Friday. And it, it basically says, okay, we agree with what Cuomo announced as the guidance from New York State, and here's our guidance. And it has a lot of different things. It, it says sports, certain sports can be allowed, um, other sports can't. Um, some of the sports that can be allowed, for example, would be like soccer, cross country, swimming, um, I'm trying to, uh, and, uh, and golf, because uh, golf in some sections in New York State are actually, is actually a fall sport. Um, and then some of the higher-risk sports for the fall season would include football and volleyball. Those are not allowed right now. Cheerleading. And, and cheerleading. Now, everything can practice. All the sports can practice. The key is the higher-risk sports, like football, can't play. So here we are with that. Now you get to the point where we're trying to figure out what exactly is going to happen from here. So essentially what uh, NISFA did was they said, okay, each of the 11 sections can now decide on their own what to do. That's where I feel like it gets so hairy. To a certain extent, it's almost like, and I don't know what else they could have done other than just made a, made a ruling for everybody and said you have to follow this. But at that point, I don't think that's fair because New York State is so big to begin with. But essentially what happened is NISFA went, okay, here's the rules, dump it on you, and you figure it out from here. And that's where we're at now. So to localize it, Section 7 is trying to figure out the feasibility of whether or not not that games can be played right now. They're still in the stages of, can we hold a practice? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a one-on-one interview with uh, the Section 7 Executive Director, Matt Wallentuck, earlier this week, and we talked about a lot of things like that. Um, that story ran in, in Tuesday's newspaper. and uh, I'm sorry, in Wednesday's newspaper. Um, and, we, uh, and we talked about a lot of different things. And right now, from my observations, everything is still on the table. Absolutely nothing has been ruled out. We could see a fall season. We might not. 
Um, I think it really depends on the communication. And that was the word, I feel like that was the hot word. It was almost like every time Matt Wallentuck said communication, you got to take a drink. <laughs> like, But it's true. It really is. Like communication in this situation is so key to everything because everybody needs to be transparent to a certain extent. Now, the odd situation is um, individual schools within the section at any point can say, we don't want to play sports. And the section can't do anything about that. And that's where it gets a little bit hairy is section seven can say no sports and all the schools just go by that. But section seven could say, we're going to allow sports, but some schools might opt to not have sports. And at that point, that's where it gets really complicated because you might have a certain amount of schools handcuff the rest of the, rest of the section. And then you have a completely, you have a very difficult circumstance where the feasibility of having any type of season it doesn't happen. And that's kind of where we're at now. And that's why at this point, it's so hard to guess what's going on because within the section, you have over 20 schools. It's hard to get a read on every single school. And ultimately, the biggest thing that you have to look at right now is we got to see how school goes first, like just the academic side of things before you get into sports. And I think that's the, that's the key to it all. Yeah, yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see how it plays out, but it will sort itself out, and one way or another we'll have an answer Yeah, um, sooner uh, rather than later, probably. Well, yeah. I just find it interesting that, you know, in being a witness to the sports section for going on seven years now <laughs> yeah. and seeing, hearing about, you know, um, the um, NISPA and the... Um, Mountain and Valley. You've never you've and... never heard these things come up as much as they have in the past exactly. couple of months. Exactly. You've well, all the... you've just you've just seen. You know, Doctor Zayas. Yes, Doctor Zayas, Doctor Zayas. But um, is that I find it? I've always found it interesting how there is such an infrastructure. Even if I don't know all the internet, but there is an infrastructure running state sports, like making sure this conference plays here and this game is hosted mm-hmm. here and blah blah blah. And then this year has been a like a strength test. It's shaking the infrastructure to see, okay, you know, here's this, you know, crazy situation. Does the structure, does the power structure work to keep things going? And how it all works out at the end of this year will be a true testament to, you know, how did everyone respond to a crisis? So. That's, that's a good way to look at it, Ben. I mean, it, it, the model, um, does it hold up? Um, I think we're seeing in a, in a lot of aspects it is. Some could use some improvements, like everything in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is an interesting. Ha, way to look have at the it. leaders led? Have the followers followed? Has it all worked out? So I and, think we're still in the middle of that. <laughs> and to add one more thing that I wanted to really stress from my interview with Matt Wallentuck is he said the the biggest takeaway that I had was this, and and I completely agreed with it, and I think it's I think it's the right thing. Section 7 is going to do what they can to try and create an outlet for sports. It has to be safe, obviously. They're not going to force anything. But Matt really stressed to me that they are going to do everything they can so at the end of the day, regardless of if they say yes to sports or no to sports, they can say to the student-athletes and the coaches and everybody else involved in the sports scenes, uh, look, we tried. We, we looked at every single avenue. We tried to see if this could work. And this is what our conclusion came to. And he said, at the end of the day, we're going to be okay with whatever we decide on. And that spoke volumes to me. So for anybody, whether it be a student athlete or a coach who looks down upon Section 7 right now, don't. Because they are trying. 
Right. It's just there's the cards are stacked. The cards are stacked. The odds are stacked against them. I uh-huh. mean, this is a situation that no section, no New York State sports, uh, New York State Public High School Athletic Association has ever had to face before, and it's so unique. But you just have to trust the decision makers at this point. And I feel like the biggest key is be patient. Yeah, I mean, it is um, uh, one of those things where you want to be safe yes. for the kids and everybody. But at the same time, I know these kids, a lot of them are struggling mentally, emotionally. Yeah. Uh-huh. They need this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and if it can happen safely, we would love to see it. I, we did, this newspaper did editorialize saying it's probably not a good idea to have sports. But it also talked about the importance of it. Mm-hmm. And what kids get out of it. And that can't be lost. Um, so if there is a way to provide that experience for the kids safely, then by all means, I hope it happens. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel like I've come to know Matt Wallentook just through a bit of reading your articles. Yeah. I know I've spoken to personally. But it, he strikes me as the kind of person that if there's anyone who wants local sports to happen, <laughs> he's one of the top ones that no matter how kind of he would see it through. Yeah. And that, he's, he's on their side. And that kind of brings me to my final point that I was going to make is I want sports to be back. I'm tired of writing these stories about, all right, well, this is what's happening this week within, you know, state sports, like, and this is what's going to happen next. I just want to write a story about something that has a final score and <laughs> something that, you know, a big moment happened. So one team was happy and another team was sad. Maybe I have to talk to one coach that might yell at me a little bit. I don't know. Like, I want that. That's the stuff that I thrive off of. I don't thrive off of calling Matt Wallentuck. I like Matt Wallentuck. I get along with him very well. But I'm sure Matt Wallentuck doesn't want to be talking to me about this stuff either. Um, we just want to be at a sporting event. I, I would kill for the – I would kill. But I would really do a lot of things to try and uh, – I would love to tomorrow if you told me, hey, Joey, there's a soccer game and you can go out and cover it. I would be there and I would probably show up like three hours in advance just to like really enjoy the day because that, that's where I'm at right now. It's so, it's so frustrating with what's going on. But, I mean, as much as when, when sports went away in March – you know, I did some of the fun stuff, you know, I did the brackets, I did, you know, different things, I went into the flashback photos, things of that nature to try and, you know, keep keep the sports talk alive and well, but I'm ready to get back to sports as much as everybody else is. The key is you have, like, the passion that I'm expressing right now, you can't let the passion get ahead of, you know, the precaution that needs to be taken, because COVID still is around, and, and that's the tough thing, but, you know, I wanted to really stress that is it's yeah. so crucial, not only to, you know, obviously the student athletes, but this is what my job is <laughs> like that. This is what I do. I, I don't, I'm not here to I've joked. I said, I'm not here to write a story about politics. That's not what I want to do. That's not why I'm in this. You know, like you I will. If I, co- you want to cover the 20 acre touchdown. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite move. <laughs> my favorite play, the 20 acre touchdown. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I mean, there you go. There's my little there's my little sports rant as my as so. So I, I like to listen to the Michael K show and Don McGregor does a lot a of sports rant. rant so <laughs> that's my little sports rant. Um, but we do have one other sports topic to talk about. Yes, we do. Okay, so you can. And I know Ben Rowe will tell you. Yes. It's probably no fun to get whacked in the throat with a tennis ball. Have you been ever been hit directly in the throat with a tennis ball, Ben? I have not ever been hit, but anyone who was, I believe, it must have been Sarah Neck Central School when I was, Joey might remember the story, 
when I was an erstwhile photographer going around to get sports photos back in the day. Okay. And this is definitely before my time, so. <laughs> yes, and so, you know, you, you stay, the best one, the best position to get a good sports photo for basketball is kind of behind the hoop, like looking at the players as they're running up and they're sure. dribbling and all that. Yeah. And so I'm there and I got my lens up and I'm, and I'm zooming in on the player and I don't see that the ball is kind of coming toward me. And then so I lower it to kind of block it, and it takes one bounce, two bounces, and <laughs> finds my royal jewels right in the middle. <laughs> and I, I kind of keel over, and you can hear from the crowd just as audible, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I mean, I've never just, heard that story. That's such a good story. I'm all right, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Ben is like, need a minute. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing that I feel like always everybody has to be aware about is there's going to be those moments where those type of things happen. But what happened on Sunday at the U.S. Open well, I'll just was say interesting. I'll just no, say I'll let you go ahead, then I'll have my I, I was just going to say, Novak Djokovic, in frustration, whacked the tennis ball, it hit the lines judge, hit her in the throat. He got tossed from the match. Yep. Good decision, I say. What say you? Okay. So, I looked at the video. I, I watched it over and over. Yes, he was frustrated, but it was not like he hit the ball underhand. Sidearm. He hit it pretty much underhand. Okay? Hard. The woman got hit with, by the way, I'm going to make this a little bit comical because um, she's okay. At least I think she is. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've Sorry heard it. Yes. Yeah, okay. She went down like she got shot. Legitimately shot. And if you hear the audio, you can hear her going, ah, ah. And I just surprised. think. Exactly. I think she was stunned. I don't think she was actually legitimately hurt. Mm-hmm. But. I will say the decision was not the wrong decision, but I just think it might have gotten blown out of proportion a little bit. Let me put it this way. If she got hit in the foot, would it have resulted in the same thing? Uh, I'm not sure if the rules have something to do with her being her, the extent of her injuries or not. Okay. So no, I don't know. I thought it was something improper ball handling. It's, I thought I read something that said that it has more to do with, like, hitting the ball in frustration than hitting a person but yeah that's part of it i think if you hit if you hit it in frustration and hit the wall it's maybe a point or something but if you hit a person i think it's different let me put it let me put it this way i don't disagree with it because let's put it in a different scenario okay we'll go hockey for you joe um tuka rask okay unfortunately he didn't play in some of the playoffs this year but um Mid-season game, gets scored on, grabs the puck out of frustration. He just throws it. Doesn't doesn't know where he's throwing it. He just chucks the thing, throws, hits the official in the neck. What's going to happen? He's gone. So he's gone. Yeah. So I put it that way. That's another thing. All right, another example. LeBron James has a temper tantrum, throws the ball, and then all of a sudden, you know, these are bizarre scenarios. I kind of would actually want to see some of these happen if everybody would be okay at the end. But throws the ball. Hits the ref. What's going to happen? Ow. Probably going to be ejected. A couple of years ago, there was, who was it? Um, guy in the Blue Jays. I think it was, his name was Brett Laurie. Or Laurie or something. Yeah, Laurie. He got in a, he was really arguing with an umpire. 
And he slammed his helmet down. And he was just like slamming his helmet down. What happened? The helmet somehow bounced perfectly and hit the umpire. What happened? He got ejected. Absolutely. So with that all in mind, I don't disagree with what happened. But I do disagree with, I think, if the woman didn't react the way she did and she would have been like, oh, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. I think it would have resulted in something different. and But we don't know. Maybe so. But it, that didn't happen. No. The so, message is don't have fits of anger. <laughs> yes. That, that that I agree with. So Th- maybe, That goes for all aspects of life. Yes. <laughs> I guess my biggest defense is I don't – my biggest argument is I don't disagree with him being um, uh, ejected or whatever the actual tennis term was. The tennis term is really weird. Disqualified? I don't even think it was disqualified. It was something very strange. I, it began with a D, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, DQ'd. But I think my biggest thing is I feel like it kind of got blown out of proportion. I don't, but I don't know. We don't know. I, I wasn't the one that got hit in the neck with a tennis ball. But just watching the reaction, it was like, all right, yeah, it's a tennis ball. It's, I, I, I don't know. It was just a little, little iffy, to say the least. But we, had, we did, Ben, we, me and Joe on um, Sunday had a pretty like, interesting debate. And we actually, I actually said at one point, this sounds like good podcast fodder. So I I advocate for just, you know those rooms that you can pay money to go and smash plates in them and just light your anger? They need those at tennis courts where (laughs) Djokovic can just go in and just get his frustration. Yes, as Ben pointed out, tennis seems to be one of those sports where those... Tempers flare. Yes. (laughs) As we've seen over the years. Yeah, no, exactly. Are you serious? (laughs) You cannot be serious. (laughs) Who was that? Was that uh, McEnroe? McEnroe? Yeah. I believe McEnroe actually gave a take on that the other day and he said that it was the right call. So for yeah. for McEnroe <laughs> to say it, I feel like that's the king of temper tantrums. Yes. So I will say, so. tennis players, are you okay? <laughs> you don't seem well. Whatever happens, <laughs> whatever happens, just breaking the racket. That's still so, happens. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, those rackets are pretty expensive now, though. But I will say the the significance of that was pretty big. I mean, Djokovic was the number one seed. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, that's why I was, com- you know, LeBron James is a good comparison. So imagine what would happen to LeBron. I mean, he's, you know, Huge. Uh, you know I-, I will say this right now. As of now, LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I know that you're saying that Mr. James Harden is. <laughs> um, I will say that's this. That's for another podcast. That's for another podcast. <laughs> um, I will say this, though, flat out. Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James. I will argue that. We can leave it at that. And there and there we go. Yes, um, and we also, we can't forget, we have to do our sign-off. Yes, and I have to say one other thing first. We have, we've kind of been leaving it out, was don't forget, you can find us on iTunes yeah, and SoundCloud. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us for free. Um, you can also find our podcast on PressRepublican.com. Um, we, we make that, we made that free as well. Um, so you can find us everywhere. We are working to get our podcast on a couple other spots as well, and we'll see how that goes moving forward. But spot defies. That's right. Hey. That is that is one of the spots. Um, and then, but otherwise, Joe, we have the sign off. I will leave it to you. Thanks for listening, and wishing you all some weekside help. <laughs>